If you like betting on golf But everyone that you back misses the cut Get some experts involved With all the stats and the tips and so much more Cause it's the golf betting system The golf betting system is the golf betting system Greetings, welcome to the Golf Betting System podcast. This is our 2023 Charles Swab Challenge and KLM Open Tips podcast, episode 260. Barry O'Hanrahan and Paul Williams join me, Steve Amper, to discuss our selection for this week's PGA and DP World Tour action. Good morning, gents. Morning, guys. Morning, guys. Please subscribe to this podcast as you drive the popularity of the show. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. You can visit begambleaware.org for more information. And of course, please bet responsibly. Visit our world famous golf betting system website where we have our in depth betting previews for both events this week. We've got strokes gained analysis for both events. We've got course form statistics combined with current form stats, always useful. Plus, our brand new PGA and DP World Tour predictor models. All of these features, like this podcast, are completely free of charge with no paywall. On Twitter, Barry is at a good talk golf. Paul is at golf betting. I am at Bamford Golf. Subscribe to the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel where this podcast is available, along with my weekly golf betting show. Now, you guys as listeners power this podcast, so we need your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. As ever, for those of you who leave a review. I will read them out at the start of a future show. Leave your name and where you are in the view. As we say every week, these reviews are so, so important. So please keep them coming. This one is from J dollar sign dollar sign dollar sign dollar sign dollar sign 444. He's in the United States of America. Excellent content, five stars, knowledgeable fellows who utilize relevant statistics to break down the field. I highly recommend. Short but sweet. Thank you very much. Lovely stuff. Yes, thank you, Jay. Jay Dollar. Let's call you Jay Dollar, shall we? <laughs> I love the way Steve reads out the full names. Somebody needs to troll them <laughs> with a ridiculous line one. Um, <laughs> That's it, yeah. I like the un- underscores like, and stuff in. I like <laughs> the way people completely ignore. Leave your name and where you are in the review, which I say every week. But anyway, the five-star reviews, they're very, very important. And, of course, five stars, uh, press that button on Spotify. Okay, there's an elephant in the room. We actually managed to snag a major championship winner, chaps. Mm. We're not used to this success. (laughs) Occasionally, all the stars align and uh, all three of us end up on uh, on the same player. And that player... Does the job. I mean, congratulations to yourself, Steve, because you you were the one with the written preview. Um, put Brooks up, and um, he, he was well back to Alpha Brooks, wasn't he? From you know, from the sighting that we saw at the Masters, where he was, um, yeah, he was very good, but couldn't quite uh, stick the final round. Uh, this time, it was a different story. Very impressed. It's a game of I'm opinions, th- uh, betting, golf betting, deep, you know, DraftKings and whatever. But um, I was always completely convinced from that Masters performance. But it wasn't just that. All you had to do was look at the 
ridiculously basic live tour data to see that Brooks was actually playing properly. But because that strokes gain data isn't available and people can't crunch it into all of their optimizers and into all of their statistical models, Brooks wasn't appearing. So people weren't high on Brooks, they were high on Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, <laughs> Zan de Chauflay, all these kind of people. But actually, Brooks was pretty made for it, wasn't he? Especially on a golf course that... You know, we took it apart systematically and we said, typical PGA venue, power off the tee. Um, I was, I tell you what I was amazed by, the amount of roll on those fairways considering that location when they turned up on Monday and mm. went through all of the practice rounds and whatever. And then on Thursday, you just think, how the hell? You could tell that the... Um, the the course superintendent had has a background at Augusta National. Andy Lack said that that course was set up, you know, agron agroman, you know, the agronomy side of it and and the firmness of it was amazing. Yep, absolutely amazing for that time of year. Mm. Yeah, it did well. Seen as it was, uh, you know, <clears throat> you'd have had the snow on the ground what six weeks earlier, wouldn't it? Six been? weeks, I reckon. Yeah, mm. amazing. There was, there was none of this sloppiness from the start. Mm. I still say, though, I've got some takeouts. We'll go into those in a, in a few minutes. Um, I still say, as of Friday turning the TV on, I thought I was dead. I was. I already had the right hump because none of my players were doing anything. Xander was fanning about, blah, 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 blah. Um, they were all over par. And when I turned the coverage on on Sky... I sat there, well, force yourself to watch it, Steve. Da, 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 da. You, it was raining. And I'm like, mate, this wasn't even forecast, this rain on Friday. Mm. This was the rain that was coming on Saturday. And for me, that is when Brooks Kepka turned the tables. And we said it all along. Soft golf course, hard golf course, past 70. That's his territory. And as soon as the ball started to, to actually land on fairways and started the greens, just lost some of that firmness and that release, all of a sudden he started to score. And he managed to get himself into that top 10 going into Saturday. And I still say, and people in the, in the golfing world have got their head around it, he's got that intimidation factor. Oh, big star. You got Brooks staring you down or starting to gravitate up leaderboards, and people know just how good he is in the major championships, and proving it once again. Yeah, we we talked about it in the preview uh, or the pre-preview pod. You know, a, a fit and healthy Brooks, which he hasn't been for a lot of these majors over the last few years. A fit and healthy Brooks is very, very capable of winning, as he did last week, but you know, multiple more majors. So, yeah, we'll see how he pushes on from here. US Open betting pool right now. Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, 9-1 to joint favourites. Rory McIlroy, 10-1. to Brooks Kepka 12-1. to Can you explain that? <laughs> I saw someone mention on uh, Twitter that uh, in, in some of the some of the American books that uh, Max Homer was 10-1 to one for the... 10-1? Uh, <laughs> <to one. laughs> no. I can't compute how Rory McIlroy is ten to one. Brooks Kepka has won five majors mm. since Rory is twelve to one. Mm. 
well, since Roy won his last. It's just madness. It's a bit crazy. I think, do you know what? The thing I'm almost happiest about is that we didn't try outthink ourselves for this major. We, you know, looked at what we could and garnered what we could from the course and the evidence in front of us. It was quite apparent Brooks was a very obvious bet in, to mm. us. And we didn't try get too clever then. We just kind of said, right, the, the facts are the facts. Here we go. Um, and that was, that was good considering, yeah, very good to do that considering we all somehow overlooked Ram for the Masters or didn't even consider him. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, great great to get a great to get a team win and great to kind of correct the mistake we made at the Masters. It's, uh, it was a really good week and it it never once it got to Sunday, it just never felt like it was no matter what little blips happened along the way, it just it felt like inevitable. It's like you knew the end, you knew the end of the movie. You were just enjoying the ride. Yeah, you always have that kind of confidence that he's not going to be the player that that, that blows up. You know, inevitably there's going to be mistakes out there. But even when he made mistakes, they were minimised. They, they they weren't doubles and trebles, were they? It, there, yeah. was, there was a there was a bogey, and you know it wouldn't be long before he bounced back and uh, just reasserted himself. And yeah. It's, it is as, as relatively stress free as a Sunday major can be when you've got a player in contention. That that was mm. that was the one. Prime example on six drives it into well into a swamp, and you're thinking, "Oh my lord!" And then just works it all through. Where did the ball cross? And then just literally lashes it back onto the green. Doesn't chase the pin. Doesn't go anywhere near the water. Just makes yeah. it land five, ten feet front of the green. I'll lag put it up there. Make a bogey, we get out of it. Mm. How many himself, people would have made double or worse? Yeah, yeah there's most of them would. Himself and Scheffler are fantastic at avoiding doubles. They just they, mm-hmm. you, you never feel like there's a huge like a danger of it happening, or they'll Definitely. figure a way out unless there's OB on a hole, and that that's the thing that'll catch them out. But if there's just the way it, <clears throat> the way it is that you feel bogeys the worst they're ever going to make. And that's yeah. in a major. That's phenomenal because you don't have that having to claw your way back from a double. I've got some PGA takeouts. Right, number one, Brooks, five major victories. He's now T fifteen all time. He's level with Byron Nelson and Sevi Ballesteros. That's two good names mm. of his current peers, and I say current in quotation marks. Phil Mickelson, 6. Tiger Woods, 15. They're the only two players on the current slate. Don't take that relatively, but you see what I'm saying? Who've got yep. more victories. Right, point two. Patrick Cantlay in majors. Now, in a month's time, maybe two months' time before the Open Championship, people are going to run the narrative that Cantlay is starting to perform better in major championships. Be careful in that assumption. Yes, he finished ninth, but the opening round he shot a 74. He was 73rd after round one. So that ninth place, I've noted here, the ultimate backdoor major top ten. 
So if Patrick Cantley and Majors don't believe the hype, that's my takeout from that one. Right, point three, back to Brooks Kepka. Now, I didn't add live players into my eight-week strokes gained analysis. The reason being that clearly only data collected was from Augusta. And that would have placed Phil Mickelson as the joint hottest player in the PGA Championship field. That was clearly not true. And I didn't want to go down the route of adding it to the, to the preview and then being ridiculed. But just for the record... This was where Brooks would have actually sat in my eight-week stats. 14th for off the tee, first for approach, third for tee to green, first for putting, first for current fall. He would have been tied with lefty because clearly they were T2 at yeah. Augusta. Yeah. Now, I said to you before last week's betting show that the I said to you guys that there is this trend now in majors on my eight-week numbers where the winner has always had a great record on the greens arriving. So Keck could go straight in there because effectively I've now noted him that he was first for strokes game playing going into that tournament. So that's a takeout for that one. I do like this. Someone that's hot with the putter or warmish with the putter. Now, Clearly, that wasn't Scotty Scheffler last week. And ultimately, when you look at the numbers, Scotty Scheffler was first for strokes gained tee to green. No one's going to be surprised. 3.82 strokes per round. Kepka was second at 3.64. But Scotty was 35th for strokes gained putting. How many times did you see Scotty lipping out, leaving it short, missing? Brooks ranked 13th. For putting that was the differentiator on the greens. Scotty isn't that warm with the putter right now, but Tita Green is the best player on the planet, undoubtedly. Yeah, I, if you look at the just the raw numbers, um, and I'm talking putts per round, uh, <coughs> over the course of the four days, Scheffler took uh, 12 more putts than Brooks, so three a day, and over the course of four days, that makes you know a hell of a difference. When you've got players that are sitting right next to each other at the top of the leaderboard, you know, was there two shots between them at the end, but 12 putts between them over the course of the four days? And yeah, if Scheffler, if he ever gets to a point where he's putting as well as some of the top players, he'd be absolutely unstoppable. But he's not there, and that's that's what makes this game intriguing is that you've got all of these different facets to to try and uh, to try and you know, work through and to throw into the pot to come out with the, hopefully, the right answer. I've got a point here, chaps. Can we play the Ryder Cup in the rain? Saturday, best scores. Brooks Kepka, 66. Best score on the Saturday by two shots in those awful, wet conditions. Mm. But you just listen to these names and listen to the complete lack of any elite American golfers. Tommy Fleetwood, 68. 69s, Tyrrell Hatton, Stephen Yeager, Chris Kirk, Rory McIlroy, Victor Perez, Patrick Reed, doubt if he's going to be in their team, Justin Rose. Okay, let's go to the 70s. Let's go to the guys that made par, yeah? Across that awful day. Michael Block, what a story. Michael Block, absolutely fantastic. Eric Cole. Corey Connors, 
Bryson DeChambeau. Is he going to make their team? Victor Hovland, Hideki Matsuama, Thomas Peters, Alex Smalley, Cameron Smith. Can we play the Ryder Cup in the rain, please? <laughs> well, you never know. Can Luke Donald get some kind of planes flying over Rome on, on, on Friday, the Saturday and the Sunday? Because we'll win, we'll win the Ryder Cup by a landslide. Play it in the rain. Well, Rory, Rory tends to be good at uh, doing a rain dance. How many times have you turned up to a major and his uh, the forecast has been pretty placid, and then suddenly the the heavens open, just to soften it up for? I Rory. thought those American names though that are in there are just absolutely apt of major championship golf mm. and what you need: Kepka, Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau, the three top grade American players that actually ground it out in the worst of the conditions last week. Yeah. These are just worth mental notes. They're worth notes down the line. You know when you're seeing a bl- a blustery, wet, open championship and all this kind of stuff? These are the kind of rounds you need to have made notes around. Who can actually hack it? Yeah. Final point. Victor Hovland has arrived in majors. He was 15th for dry, uh, fairways hit last week. 5th for greens in reg. 6th for scrambling. If you want that from a strokes game perspective, first for approach, 10th tenth, tenth for around the green, third for tee to green. And he certainly passed my eye test. Mm. Now, you mentioned to me, Barry, just in chat during the final round that uh, Hovland's short game seems to have taken a massive step forward. Makes, mm. him, a, makes him a big player for the future. Well, certainly in this type of setup where it's either bunker or thick rough, which which it was for the most part, mm. and he seems to have um, a variety of shots out of that thick rough. You know, some surprising ways he played shots, but very effective. <clears throat> so there's a you can see the comfort level is there, or it's not a discomfort like we see when he has um, kind of a, a tight lie. Doesn't seem to make yeah, it's not his happiest zone, but you know he's getting there. You can see it, and I mean, it it just felt like he was not. Um, it felt like he's gone up a level, regardless of what the result was, and it was disappointing for him. I mean that that shot that ended up embedded in the bunker face. That's not the mistake. It's the mistakes off the tee. So. Um, and he's trying to get tied to the corner, so he's only missed a shot by a little bit. He'll learn from that, and he's just getting closer and closer. And I immediately penciled him down for um, the Open Championship. Now I know you need to do a bit of digging into Hoylake and see how that kind of matches up with what I've just said. But you know, he was he was there last year at St Andrews, learned yeah. his lessons. So yeah, it's um, I think it's time to. Stop just kind of looking, glossing past his name. Yeah, agreed. Uh, did I hear that he's working with a new short game coach? Because if he is, it's working. Some of those, some of those um, shots out of bunkers where he's just literally slinging it, and the ball is just travelling and then hits the ground and stops with the spin were amazing. Yep. You wouldn't have seen that six months ago. He'd have been blading it over the green. Yeah. 
But yeah, if you work, work on your weaknesses, we know the rest of his game is is um, strong enough to contend, and it was mm. strong enough to contend all round this week. It's, it just comes down to those finest of margins, and as you said, Barry, that the the, the shot where he ended up in the bunker and uh, you know he ends up taking double out of that, which um, which ultimately that was the end of his tournament. But up to that point, there was an awful lot to like, and yeah, it, I, I, gone are the days. He just said that you can't just put a line through a major where uh, you know he's, he's got to come into come into the thought process now have we I finished with the PJ I mean we've got a packed show here so anything else to say before we move on no no all good just enjoyable week well I've got a message here for the listeners and this is really important after six years and 260 episodes as an independent pod golf betting system has been nominated for Favourite Betting Podcast in the Smart Betting Club Awards. Naturally, we're overjoyed and humbled to have been nominated, and we sit amongst a plethora of big-budget media and operator-produced podcasts. So, of course, we have a humble request for you, the Golf Betting System Podcast listeners. Support the pod. Please take the time to vote for us. I have placed a link near the top of the podcast description or simply search 2023 Smart Betting Club Awards. It's an online questionnaire. It's literally, um, um, it's multi-choice. So it takes three minutes to fill in. We'd appreciate each and every one of you who casts a vote for the Golf Betting System podcast. Don't delay. Please vote for us today. <laughs> if you could spare the time, it'd be much appreciated. Um mm. If we could actually be mentioned in, say, the top three or something for best podcast, it would be um, absolutely amazing. So, yeah, a live link in the description box of the podcast. Um, if you're listening on Apple and that doesn't work, just send me a tweet. I'll send you the link of, um, to the actual survey itself. Right, two tournaments this week. Two apps, uh, to be fair, decent tournaments on both tours. Uh, you can't sniff at the Dutch Open. You can't sniff at the Charles Swab Challenge, although the name's a bit annoying. But basically, they're visiting Colonial on the PGA Tour, which is uh, one of the most traditional venues on the PGA Tour. We're back to Texas. It's the last event of the Texas Swing. Colonial Country Club, Fort Worth, Texas. 1936, a Maxwell design. Um, I classify it as a classical golf course. Again, old-style, tree-lined. Medium in length. When I say medium, it's a par 70 that plays at 7,209 yards. So I, I personally take it. It goes from short just into the medium category for me. Holes with water hazard six. Fairways. We're back to Bermuda grass, chaps. Tiff Eagle, uh, sorry, Tiffway 419 Bermuda grass on the fairways. The rough is a mix of Bermuda grass. It is three inches in length. So we're back to that Southern States agronomy. However, the greens this week are bent grass. So we stick with bent grass greens for the third week running. They are 5,000 square feet on average. So about the same kind of size as we saw last week at Oak Hill. This golf course really does play as difficult as the conditions. Saying that, it's a it's a, a, a course that you cannot take liberties with. Last year, it ranked as the 11th most difficult course on tour. Uh, the season before that, 
bearing in mind the conditions were a lot easier. And when I say easier, I mean that the wind was lower. It played just on the fringes of the top 20 most difficult courses. So you can't take liberties around it. Um, looking at the forecast, I'm seeing potentially a lot of rain on Wednesday. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start the tournament um, on softened a softened golf course. Um, I'm seeing a lot less wind this year than last year as well. So on the basis that it might be soft Thursday, less wind throughout, you know, the Texas wind, always famous, it seems to have laid down to a degree for this event. I'm thinking, and I'm just looking at previous winning scores here. Sam Burns won this last year at 9-under. I don't see that. I think Jason Kokrag's 14 and Daniel Berger's 15-under par is in play. A good mid-teens winning score target. That makes sense as well. This is your traditional par 70 setup, two par fives, which keeps the scoring lower. Or should that be higher? Yeah, higher. Winning prices here. Burns 30 to 1. Kokrag 60 to 1. Burger 70 to 1. If you remember that Burger win, it was the first tournament back post-COVID. It was a major. Uh, Daniel Burger won. I know Xander was right up there, as was Colin Morikawa and Justin Rose, but Berger won it. Uh, Kevin Nash seventy to one, Justin Rose twenty to one. If I go back to twenty ten, the o the overall winning average here is forty two to one. Past nine renewals since they went to this split PJ tour season setup, thirty eight to one. So that gives me a bit of hope that Scotty Scheffler at five to one doesn't win this week. It tends to be a decent. High quality player of a certain ilk. Burns was Burns was tenth in the world when he won here last year. Coke Rag thirty fifth. Berger one oh seven. Bit that's a bit of a falsy, I think. But anyway, and Kevin Nart fifty second. Justin Rose fifth. Berger must have been coming back from a bit of a mini slump mm. to be one oh seven. Yeah. The lesser spotted Daniel Berger. Okay. I, I don't mind Daniel not playing because I'm not backing him at 16 to 1 to always uh, miss the cut, as he does for me. There's a few things I've noticed here just going through the research. First thing, just looking at the course, I'm this is something I'm now doing for every tournament. This is something I've added to my regime to try and find more winners. I literally go through satellite views of the course and try and break out where the approaches are coming from. What's obvious here is that 11 of the 18 holes are from uh, 150 yards and in. That's a huge volume. Mm. So this is it's Wedge City, isn't it? Any, any event where Kevin Nars winning, it's, it, it just screams Wedge City. Yep. There's four from 175 to 200, two from 200 plus. But effectively, 11 of your 18 holes are from 150 yards and in. Also, a hell of a lot of left-to-right dog legs on this golf course. Hell of a lot. 
The other thing I've noticed here is if you go back to the last three winners, you can make it as simple as this. It's a bit of, this is going to be a bit of a scary one for me, but scoring average, sorry, birdie average and strokes game putting. The last three winners, um, Sam Burns, 7th birdie average, 25th for strokes game putting going into the event. Jason Kokrag, 23rd for birdie average, 7th for strokes game putting going into the event. Seen a pattern here. Mm. Year before that, Daniel Berger, 20th for birdie average, 26th for strokes game putting. So you could be as basic as going through the PGA Tour stats as they are right now and saying, right, who's in the top 25 for strokes game, top 27, top 28 for strokes game putting and birdie average? I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm just having a quick look now for my players. <laughs> Cancel I did that, chaps. Because I'm that anal. Well, I get up at something stupid o'clock on a morning to go for all this kind of rubbish. Do you want a list of them? Yeah, go. I could take the fun out of it. Sam, look, pen and pencil, everybody, pen and pencil, or get or get your notes up on your on your phone. Right, here here are the players in this field. Sam Burns. I'm scrolling, so there'll be a few gaps in between. Max Homer. It's quite a short list. Justin Rose. If you want a long shot, Sam Ryder. I'm still scrolling. Nick Taylor. Came very close on Nick Taylor. Post-it note, Hall of Shame, Brendan Todd. By my reckoning, there are only five in this field who have that. Did I say five? Or so? I meant six, didn't I? Six. Who have those two parts. Yeah. There is definitely, 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 definitely something here. And this is what makes this tournament quite scary for people that are using optimizers and, and modelers because this doesn't smack of strokes gained ball striking when you're actually trying to pick the winner. It actually smacks when I look at all of my strokes gained data and my eight-week rolling numbers of people that actually had a very good hot putter arriving. And people hate that. You know, they want to be banging Ricky Fowler in at 22 to 1 because he's gained, you know, 18 shots, strokes gained ball striking over the last three months. Well, Ricky won't actually fall into these categories. Mm. Daniel Berger. Jason Kokrag and Sam Burns ranked all in the top 17 for strokes gained putting in my eight-week numbers arriving for this tournament. So I've effectively gone down this route wholeheartedly. I want good putters this week, and I want players that have clearly been making lots of birdies this year. I've kept it simple. I've almost walked away completely from strokes gained tee to green this week, and that's a, it is a scary thought. It is a scary thought. Um, these are the guys that I've landed on. Um, you won't be surprised to hear, bearing in mind we've been talking about Scotty Scheffler and his putting for ages, that I'm not on Scotty Scheffler the favourite this week. I see he's been nibbled in. People are people are jumping on that five to one. They love it. He's now nine to two favourite. My first player in is Max Homer. 
I've gone two points each way, 20 to 1 on Max Homer. And I managed to get that, I believe. Paul will correct me if I'm wrong, with Coral, who yeah. are actually offering 10 places each way this week. So 10 places each way at a, mar- at a decent price, Max Homer at 20 to 1. I was more than happy to take that. Now, if we're talking about a classical golf course, tree-lined, and a, a stretching course, you know, that isn't going to be 29 under par, Barry, Paul, and I have worked out over the last two seasons that Max Homer isn't a bad bet. So I'm on Homer, who actually, if there was one thing he did well last week, it was putt. He sits well within the... Where is he in my, in my strokes game putting numbers? He must be very high, because otherwise I wouldn't have included him. I think... Where is he? Where can I see Max? Max, Max, where are... Top 19 last eight weeks for strokes game putting. So I think Max get his third, third win of the season this week. I just get the feeling that at this wedge fest, he actually sits in the top 45 for proximity from 100 to 125 and the top 20 for approaches from 125 to 150. So brilliant wedge player, fantastically strong putter at the moment. The sort that can navigate himself round a nice 12 to 14, 15 under winning score. That's his kind of MO. I think Homer, after the disappointment of the major... He didn't play that badly last week, to be honest. He, coming up on Friday, he was fringy top 20. He was there or thereabouts. And then just a couple of, you know, as happened on that course, cut the doubles fly in and all of a sudden he's more towards the bottom end of the cut than actually fringe contention. I think I think Max is playing okay under the under the radar, and he was eighth the week bef- uh, two weeks before the PGA at Quail Hollow. He can't be playing that badly, so I took twenty to one on Max Homer. I've also gone for a player that is also putting very well, and that tends to be his mo anyway. Um, I've gone for Sam Burns. Now he's the defending champion here. You're not going to find him any in any tee to green models because his tee to green recently has been poor. But again, you know, would you have found Jason Cokerag two years ago if you're just going from a tee to green modelling? You wouldn't. No, you just wouldn't have found him. Would you have found Daniel Berger in that field of elite? Play? No, you wouldn't. Would you have found Kevin Nah the year before that? No, you wouldn't. That's the point about this test. You've got to think, for me, a little bit illogically. You've got to look at short game. You've got to look at strong putting. You've got to look also at people that are very, very specialised in what they do. And if there's one thing Sam Burns can't do right now, he can't go to a major setup in New York State when it's cold, it's wet, it's long. It's just not his MO miscut. But actually, if you look at his form recently on courses that do suit him, yeah, he's playing quite well. Sixth at the Valspar when defending. He won the WGC Dell World match play. What is that golf course? Well, it's a short Bermuda grass par 71, where birdies are clearly the way to go. And then he was 15th at Harbortown the week after the Masters. So actually, those three courses, Copperhead, TPC Austin, and Harbortown itself, they're three courses that do suit Sam Burns for my, my liking. He's that kind of player. So actually, I think he's playing okay. 
And when he's defended title so far, he's finished first at the 2022 Valspar, 30th at the 2022 Sanderson Farms, and 6th at the 2023 Valspar. So he's won and finished 6th so far in three times that he's defending a title. So I took 25 to 1 on Sam Burns, point and a half each way. Again, I got that with Coral, 10 places each way. That's nice. I like that a lot. Uh, last one, and, and again, no apologies for this. The way that the PGA Tour is going, the way that sub 28 to 1 winners are literally winning week in, week out, I've gone for another player 28 to 1 this week. Now, I was I was watching the very good Rick Gaiman this morning on YouTube. I was watching his show. He's putting all of his numbers into a, into a model. Right, what's it going to spit out? What's it going to spit out? And you can see he's really excited. He's really excited because Scotty Scheffler is going to come out number one. And all of a sudden, he, right, the results come up on the screen. And all of a sudden, the blood falls out of his face. Oh, boy. These are his words. Oh, boy. Justin Rose, number one. Yikes. And that's the point. Put everything into a model. Put a, the sh a short course, bent grass greens, current form. Who's doing really well at the moment? Justin Rose. He's actually third in my strokes gained numbers over the last eight weeks for strokes gained current form. In fact, in reality, he's actually number two because I've included Michael Block. Take Michael Block out there. Scotty Sheffner, number one. Justin Rose, number two. Tommy Fleetwood, number three. I can see Tommy Fleetwood being very popular this week, especially at his price point. Um, by the way, Colonial winners, just for the note, I went back way, way back, 2008, 2007, 2006. They all had a PGA Tour victory before they won this. So I'm just throwing that out there. But I've, I've also, so I'm landing on Rose because I know he was ninth last week. I know he was contending in a major. That's the thing, that's the thing, boys. Pa Justin Rose was contending in a major and he finished ninth. Patrick Cantlay was never contending in a major. He finished ninth. But yeah, I'm on Rose as well. He's got a great record here. 13th, 05. First time he ever visited. First in 2018 and third in that 2020 renewal when basically it was like a major championship coming back from COVID. Loves this golf course. He's third for strokes gained total in our strokes gained analysis on Justin Rose. Just to throw in there, by the way, before I move on. Uh, inbound form of winners of this, right? Since the PGA. Uh, Burns was 20th at the PGA, at PGA Championship. 49th was Jason Kokrag and Kevin Nahr missed the cut. There was Davis Riley last year. He finished, he was 10th after 54 holes. He finished 13th at the PGA. I'm just hoping that Rose follows that kind of model. I don't think backing players of the ilk of Cam Davis this week is the way to go. Players that were in the top 10 last week, uh, you know, made, making a major breakthrough. Just looking at the players that have contended in this colonial afterwards, I'm reading 78th miscut, 64th miscut, 30th, 17th, 30th, 49th, 13th, 30th and 20th. Miscut, miscut, miscut. Those are the people that actually won and placed, got each way money and what they did at the PGA over the last four, uh, three renewals. So actually people that were right up at the top of the leaderboard last week, like a Victor Hovland, 
I wouldn't go anywhere near them. Rosie's the one that I've actually, because the numbers fit, he fits, whatever time, whenever I put Justin Rose up, he does nothing for me anyway. But anyway, so at, at the top of the tree, I've got Homer, I've got Burns, I've got Rose. I've spoken for far too long, over to you two. I've got two incredibly long shots. Yeah, I've uh, I've only backed one who's in that co- well, not even in that bracket. It's slightly short on that. Um, it's extremely obvious, but it's uh, Jordan Spieth at fourteen to one. Now it kind of fits the narrative that you just described there, which um, you know, kind of being um, out of the mix last week. Twenty ninth, he finished at the PGA, but if you look through his stats, he improved all the way through the week. Seven, 73, 72, 71, 69. So he got better and better as the week went on. And you don't have to go back too far to find some really good form. Fourth at the Masters, second at the Heritage. In fact, that's five top six finishes in his last 10 starts um, overall. So playing some nice stuff, Spieth. And the fact is, we just know. If you look at the stats this week, look at the um, event stats pages, um, Spieth's all over it. He's all over the uh, strokes gain data as well. He absolutely loves Colonial. One in 2016, three more runner-up finishes. Um, four more top tens over the years. Uh, if you look at the top eight, I've got him fourteen to one to, uh, for eight places each way. Seven of his um, ten starts here have finished in a top eight finish. So as a short priced each way chance, Jordan Spieth made an awful lot of sense for me this week. Uh, but he's the only one I've backed near the near the top of the market. I've got a a, a three figure chance, which I'll go through in a. A little while, Barry. What about you? Got any got any picks this week? Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm with you on Homer. Steve makes it makes a lot of sense, and I just took him on the machine at 28. I'm not interested in messing around with halving my stake and or you know just to get an each way in. It's uh, all or nothing. And the other one that got in my head when I saw he earned his special temporary membership was Minwoo Lee, who. Mm played uh, very solid last week and yep. I know he doesn't have the experience on the course that you need but trends but he, are there. he did play it last year so at least he's seen the course a lot this of these helps. places going so he's never seen them so this is actually yeah. his second visit to Colonial so that's a big positive for me yeah so I suppose the, the, you know he's not the most accurate driver out there but me you know there'll be a lot of holes he can use less than driver this week so yeah. you know he's got more than enough um, horsepower in the tank. Uh, he's up, but just looking at his European Tour stats for the season so far, he's 16th greens in regulation, seventh putts per green in regulation, and mm. fifth in sand saves. And <clears throat> so those all kind of converged into a nice thing. And he's got a good feeling about his special temporary membership. He doesn't need to worry about um, worry about his performances now. He's kind of freewheeling, so. Yeah. Jumped on it. I thought there was a bit of value in his price. Mm. These strokes gain numbers you pull together, Paul, are absolutely fabulous. I put a link to the, the strokes gain analysis and the rankings in the description box. Come and look at them. I mean, this stuff is completely free of charge, where you're paying a lot of money to get this kind of data from other websites. Take Davis Riley out of the equation, because he's played one round here. Jordan Spieth, strokes gain total. 2.58 over 28 rounds. The next best is Justin Rose at 1.72. That is almost like lapping the field. Spieth is so much better around here than anybody else. But I'll just 
Spieth at one. This is for players that have played multiple tournaments here. Rose is at two. And this is a great segue. For me, Harris English is at three. Now, I, I've put up English this week as well. Because English, for me, fits into the Jason Kokrag and Kevin Nahr category of winner here absolutely perfectly. If you look at Harris English, he's a kind of... He had, when he played the Ryder Cup in 2019, he was absolutely at the top of his game. And then he's just slumped. But this year, there have been seeds, and quite obvious seeds. 12th at the Genesis. He was second at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and he was third at the Wells Fargo Championship. Now, by, by my rankings, those three are all elevated events, yeah? A 12th, a 2nd, and a 3rd. It's not as if he's playing badly, is he? All of a sudden, the approaches are starting to work a lot better. He gained seven and a half strokes with his approach play at Quail Hollow a few weeks ago. That's his best his, his best iron play performance going back to the 2017 St. Jude Classic and his second best ever on tour. He's in the top 40 in the world. So this is what I'm saying. Kokrag kind of angle, Nar kind of angle. A good top 50 player that's actually deeper in the prices and he's actually playing well under the surface. Don't forget as well, wins have come at Southwind, El Chameleon and TPC River Highlands. Three of his four wins, they are all short to medium length, non-par 72s. And that record here, fifth on debut in 2012, 30th in 2014, second in 2016, 29th in 2017, 20th in 2018 across seven appearances. That's why you're finding him third in the strokes gained total analysis that we run. Harris English. So I'm on him. I took 66 to 1 on Harris English. Uh, I believe... Let's have a look. I doubt he's been very popular. I can't see it. Can't even find him. Uh, people have nibbled him. But yes, you can still... There are still 90 to 1 available at Unibet if you fancy a bet on Harris English. I've now got two players that are of humongous prices, 250 to 1 and 350 to 1. Do you, do you want to insert um, your tips in there before me? Or yeah, I, I, I've only got one more. So um, the other one I've backed is uh, Ryan Palmer at 110 to 1. Please tell me you've taken 12 places. <laughs> 28 places <laughs> each way. Please tell me you haven't backed him six places with Unibet. <laughs> no, I've, I've backed him 110 with eight places each way. Which, You're um, going to need every a... single one of those places. Well, yeah, you know, he, he, he can do it around here. I mean, it he's a member, isn't he? Into... This is his yeah, club. And, well, he, he, he's, he's great in Texas. I mean, I, I counted through uh, his top 10 finishes in Texas over the years. Home state, of course. Uh, 13 top 10 finishes I counted. Four top six finishes here at Colonial over the years. And uh, he does seem to be rounding into a bit of form. 35th at the Wells Fargo, 8th at the Byron Nelson. Um, some good long game stats coming out of that. He played the US Open qualifying yesterday, opened with a 63. Just, just missed out in the end. Um, but again, you know, showing some sparks of form. It could be one for the first round leader market as well. I do tend to look at Ryan Palmer, first round leader, and yeah. I'll see where he sits with his tea time. Uh, yes, 
I understand the limitations when it comes to Sunday um, because they're real. And, um, you know, it, it can be a bit of a letdown um, when you get to that point. But if I'm getting an each way pace... People go, I can't believe, Paul, Paul, people go, I can't believe Ryan Palmer's bottled it on a Sunday. You're like, <laughs> really? How long have Again. you been golf betting for? <laughs> yeah. But if he sneaks into a top eight, which I think, you know, this is the kind of course um, that he can do that. And he has done it. I mean, he's done it multiple times. So um, mm. home comforts, playing some decent stuff. And yes, I'll take a look at the first round leader market when it comes up and uh, and see where he sits on that. Because he's, he's always one he likes to get out of the track. What price did you get? Uh, 110 to 1 for eight places. Yeah. Coral, 10 places, 60 to 1. Exactly. Yeah, because they know they know that they might be in a bit of trouble. Yeah, yeah, he's bound to finish tied ninth now, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll take my chances with that. But yeah, any more for you, Baron? Yeah, Ryan, uh, Ryan Palmer. That's, that's a great bet for an each way punt. Yeah, he loves Texas, loves this course. Any I'm, for you, Baron? I'm trying to remember if I have Andrew Putnam on my enemies list. He may have. I, he rings a bell having annoyed me um, before going up against one of my other bets, but he is 11th in your strokes gained for the Charles Schwab Challenge and has enough accuracy and putting skills to warrant me backing him at 110 to 112 places. Hmm. I, so. Colonial for me is one of these courses. It's it's a Kevin Kisner course. It's it's this mini tour of courses: Greenbrier, Sony Open, RSM Classic, Sedgefield Country Club. Yeah, short wedge fests, and that's where players of an Andrew Putnam's. You look at where Putnam's done well. I know he's absolutely ecstatically good at, at the Sony Open. I think he's had a top. Is he finished second at that um, the Birdie Fest they play at Human, the uh, the one in PGA West California? Yeah, just these kind of these kind of courses. That's that's right up his uh, right up his street. Couldn't agree more with that one. I'll tell you who's playing well. T to Green, Matthew Neesmith. I haven't put him up, but he's one to look out. Oh, by the way, I did mention last week Kit, Kurt Kitty Armour at a big price. Mm. Yeah. yeah did it's come in quite high yeah. this week, isn't it? And another yeah. price I saw that looked uh, that was out re- really high, considering his finish last week was Sepp Stracker's. Yeah, Sepp Stracker, he does like it. I mean, he won the Honda Classic. Give him something seven, eight under par. Really mm. tough. Sepp Stracker actually comes to the full. I've gone for two at ridiculous prices. I've only gone a half point each way. Kevin Tway. Now, Kevin Tway, you're going to love this. Kevin Tway is a poor man's Cameron champ. Now, that is poor. I know that. I get that. (laughs) Kevin Tway is a poor man Cameron champ. He is absolute garbage for month after month after month, and then something clicks. And when it clicks, have a little shekel on him. Because he's very good at finishing, say, tied fifth, then the, the tournament after, tied sixth, and then disappears again. That's what Kevin Tway does. He's actually won on the PGA Tour. He won the 2018 Safeway Open, which they play at Silverado. Now, Silverado, tree-lined, old-style, relatively short golf course. 
So there's an MO here. When you look at Tway, even though he lives in Florida, doesn't ever seem really to get on with Bermuda grass. He likes bent grass greens. He likes bent poa mix greens. So actually, this course kind of stands up. He got a sponsor's invite into this. That's how, you know, clearly, um, I don't know. I don't know what Kevin Tway's done, but he's got a sponsor's invite. But actually, when you look at where he has played well, and it is limited because <laughs> he's not very good, 20th at Las Colinas, that's where they used to play the Byron Nelson, they're bent grass greens. He's had a ninth at Trinity Forest. He's had a second at Memorial Park. This is all in Texas. Memorial Park is where they now play the Houston Open. Now, that is Bermuda grass greens. He's also had 11th, this is the point, 11th two weeks ago at Craig Ranch, bent grass. Played really nicely, shot 66-63 over the weekend. Absolutely lit the afterburners. Found something in his game. He was T4 for the last 36 hole scoring at the Byron Nelson. Behind only Jason Day, the winner, Austin Ekro, and Stefan Jaeger. I got Tway 250 to 1, eight places each way with ball sports. Just one of those random bets. He's had an 18th, a 5th, and a 19th here. Now, he could just as well miss the cut. He could hang about on the leaderboard. So I'm on him at 250 to 1. The one I couldn't quite get my head around, and I'm surprised Paul isn't on him, because Paul is the Ches Reevy whisperer. <laughs> 350 to 1 on Ches Reevy. That's crazy. I've managed to get that with bet 365, eight places each way. Now, Ches Reevy... He was hanging around the fringes of the top 15 in the final round at the PGA Championship last week on Sunday. Ches Reevy, he's hitting the ball 275, 280 yards off the tee. And when you look at his numbers, he was losing four shots off the tee last week. Four shots off the tee, Ches Reevy. And he was on the fringes of the top 15 midway at halfway of his final round. Mm. <laughs> That's just mad. Now, where does Chip Reevy play well, Paul? Short, classical, old-style golf courses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somewhere where... 5th, 11th and 27th here last year. I'm seeing him, Reevy, in the top 20 of a lot of my strokes gain numbers. Mm. How about... Ninth for approach, seventh for putting, and twenty-first for strokes gained current form over the last eight weeks. I couldn't believe it. Three hundred and fifty to one. Well, that seventh for putting is a bit of an eye-opener because that's that's not his game. So that's must be where he's uh, where he's making the inroads at the moment. So yeah, Ches Reeby, mate. Is it Ches or Che? I, I never quite get my head around it. Whatever way it is, I'll pronounce it wrong. Short what for Chesney, it? I'm sure. I'm sure it's his full name's Chesney, so it's just a. Just, just I love it. I, I mean, 351 all over it like a rash. So Ches Reevy 350 to one. I can't believe I've got that price. Kevin Tway 250 to one. Harris English at 66 is. I've then got three at tw uh, 28 to one and less. Rose, Burns 25s. Max Homer 20 to one. Right, let's move on. We have the Dutch Open Pool. Over to you. Yes, yeah, the K KLM Open. They've got the, the uh, yeah, title good to sponsors see. are back. They're, yeah. they're back. 
Yes, they are. You can't have a Dutch Open without their own airline, can you? Their own carrier. Yeah, they they did. They dipped out of it for a couple of years. It must have been around COVID and... I suspect the coffers were a bit tight at the time, but um, yeah, they're back in. So uh, yeah, it's, it, back back to the KLM Open, but it's um, it's just it's still your kind of regular DP World Tour event. Um, nothing special about it, even with their with their sponsorship. So it's still two million dollar prize fund, a full field of one hundred and fifty six runners this week. Going for the market, top of the market, we've got Victor Perez. Um, Asian Moronk, they're pretty inseparable at, well, a general 12 to 1. There's a couple of um, places where they're both 14 to 1 at the moment, but they're both being backed. I expect, looking at the way it's going, they'll go off as 12 to 1 favourites, um, joint favourites this week, Perez and Adrian Moronk. Um, Alexander Bjork, 22 to 1. Rasmus Hoygaard, 25s. Jordan Smith, 25 to 1. Antoine Rosner, 28s. Romain Langasque, 33 to 1, 35 to 1 bar. Pretty regular, with the addition of Victor Perez, is pretty regular betting markets are the ones that we've seen um, in the last few weeks on the DP World Tour. Ball Sports, um, sticking with their eight places each way, standard proposition on the DP, which is good. And of course, Bet365 offering their each way extra proposition on this event, as they do pretty much each and every week. Uh, the course, we're returning to Bernardus Golf and we're coming back for the third successive year. So if you're looking through the stats this week, I've made a note on the um, event history stats and the, the combined stats um, that it's the last two years which are relevant to this uh, this week's test. Prior to that, it kind of hopped about from different courses um, in Holland, but um, a lot of them are quite similar. A lot of them have um, correlation to each other. So you know, don't totally disregard the older data there is some relevance to it but the very specific stats are just from the last two years here at Bernardus. The course itself is a Carl Phillips design um, if you're thinking Carl Phillips think uh, Kingsbarns which is part of the uh, Dunhill Lynx rotation, uh, Dundonald Lynx which was the Scottish Open venue um, in years gone by, The Grove where they hosted the British Masters back in 2016 uh, in England here, um, Hilversumch. Now that was a um, another KLM Open venue from 2010 to 2012. So um, there's a few others. I've listed them all in my preview. So if you're interested, you want to do some deeper research, then uh, you can come find those different uh, uh, courses that Kyle Phillips has designed over the years. This one, it's a 7,445-yard par 72. It's a flat, typically exposed Dutch-style track. Described, described as um, Heathland, but if you look through some of the player comments or listen to some of the interviews from the two renewals we've had here so far, the players tend to suggest that it plays very much like a, a true Lynx course. Uh, deep, bunkering, long fescue rough, bent grass greens, it is um, that kind of style track so um there's a theme that runs through some of my uh, picks a bit later on which uh, kind of ties in with that it's a typical kind of 72 setup with four par fives a couple of short par fours in terms of the weather conditions they do look good it looks like it's going to be dry and sunny and um, temperatures edging up towards the low 70s by the weekend winds 10 to 15 miles an hour it is an exposed course so um, any wind is accentuated here and can make quite a Dramatic difference to the winning total, I'd have thought. But 10 to 15 miles an hour, that'll keep the players honest without um, presenting a massive 
uh, threat to him this week, I think. And there is loads of history of the two of them, you know, from the, from the events that we've uh, had here. I, as I said, the most relevant of the last two. So if you're looking at the winners, um, 2021, that was Christopher Broberg at 275 to 1. <laughs> last year, it was... Uh, yeah, 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 good luck plucking that one out. Uh, last year, it was Victor Perez at 50 to 1. Big price on Victor Perez for a player of his uh, quality. But um, that was the price pre-event last year. Uh, we do have full strokes gain, as Steve said, right at the top of the show. There's strokes gain data from the, those two renewals and uh, regular stats as well. So we're, we're spoiled this week. We've actually got some full data for the DP World Tour, which is good. So there's enough of enough of us to uh, uh, to chew on this week, um, even though it is just from two events, effectively for for course history. Some difference between the two renewals, though. Broberg, he won at 23 under par. That was in the autumn, um, softer conditions, um, presented far more scoring opportunities to the player, 23 under. Victor Perez last year, 13 under par. So 10-shot differential. And it wasn't particularly blowy last year. It was um, it was firmer. It was um, this time of year as well. So if we're looking for parallels, personally, I think it's more likely to be like the Victor Perez renewal from last year. Um, so kind of that mid-teens under par, rather than a an out and out birdie fest. Because I don't I don't think it's going to be soft enough to to warrant that. As we know with a DP World Tour, they can throw some curveballs in, so it could be <laughs> they, you know, it, they, they, they may go and water it all and make it super soft. But I doubt it. I think it will just be allowed to run and play the, the way that nature was intended. And uh, yeah, I, I can see kind of 13, 14, 15, something like that being the number this week. We'll see. Now, of course, when oh, to get to a 23-under total, you need to have a hot putter. And that was exactly how Broberg got uh, got to his winning total. He was first for scrambling, sixth for putting average, and first for strokes gained putting when he won round here. Perez, that was much more about the long game. Uh, fifth for driving distance. He had over 70% of fairways. He was 75% greens in regulation. That was fourth. That translated to second for strokes going off the tee and first for strokes going tee to green. So two very different ways to get round. As I said, I think personally, similar conditions this year to last, same time of year, I think that the Victor Perez route, um, so slightly longer off the tee, um, better from tee to green, I think that will be the way to attack this rather than just going out with an out and out red hot putter. But of course, we've only got a sample of two years, so you know that that assertion could be entirely wrong. But I think you know, an educated guess that would be the way to go. In terms of incoming form, both men had a top twelve finish in their previous six, so there was a little bit to go on with Broberg, even though um, he was a silly long prize. The thing with Broberg is he hadn't played for um, the previous six weeks. And he had to go back quite a while to find that top 12 finish. Perez, he finished 21st at the British Masters, 33rd on his last start at the Sudal Open. He had finished 8th at the uh, ISPS Hander Championship in Spain a few weeks prior to that. So there was something to go with Perez, even though he was 50-1. to one. Yeah, and other than that, you're not. It's not one of those traditional events where you can traditionally look at course form and event form. Broberg had missed. Um, sorry, he was making his course debut here when he won. Victor Perez had won uh, or had missed the cut rather the year before, so there was no course form to go on from either of these guys. And um, yeah, it feels to me it's much more of a, an event where you need to kind of work through the course fit, I think, rather than 
trying to pluck anything out specifically from current form and uh, event form stats. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Exposed linksy track. I think it appeals to a certain type of player this week. Perez, former Dunhill Lynx winner. So yeah, again, he had that Lynx form to, to fall back in. Ryan Fox, finished runner-up last year. Ryan Fox is one of those players that, again, you always need to look at when you look, you, know, you come into a Lynx or a Lynx-style course. And, um, you know, so it proved last year he could have won as well quite quite readily. So, um, yeah, going down that route kind of leads you down to a certain type of player, I think. I did look at the top of the market. Um, I looked at Victor Perez, um, looked at Adrian Moronk. You can't ignore them. They're both, um, you know, clear favourites, clear joint favourites. Perez finished 12th at the PGA last week. Uh, Moronk finished 40th so both of them are flying back after four rounds I personally you know you've got jet lag to consider um you've got the um you know the kind of the come down from a, a major championship to what is a, a regular DP world tour to tour event and um, not convinced on either of them personally even though Perez won here last year Moronk was third and Moronk won in Italy a fortnight ago you know he's playing some great stuff can I take them at twelve to one? I don't think there's any value in either of those, um, in over either of those prices. So yeah, I've let them let them go. I've preferred to look a little bit deeper down the list this week. The one that I've plumped on first was Eddie Pepperell, forty-five to one. Now Eddie started this year four missed cuts in awful form. By his own estimation, he was playing some really poor stuff. Took, took three months off to to regroup more than anything. Came back, Italian Open, finished ninth. Some really nice numbers coming out of his game as well. Eighth for strokes gain approach, ninth for strokes gain tee to green. The putter warmed up a little bit and the Sudel Open, he finished uh, 22nd at the Sudel. Uh, hasn't played since and um, I think he can come here and and really push on, on on the kind of terrain that really does suit him. He won in Doha in 2018 and uh, that, that course there over in Qatar, that's often a good barometer for players that can play well on links or links style courses we saw him win at um uh, walton heath uh, uh later that year later in 2018 and um mm. you know that's got clear relevance to this heathland style track and um, when we were there at walton heath it was um you know it, it was dry it was almost linksy back back in the day then and i think that's kind of what we should expect this week and Holland, I mean, for Freddie, that's been a really positive venue over the years. Four top six finishes in the in the country. He was 14th here last year. Now, that was 14th when he was playing some, you know, pretty poor stuff in general. He'd, uh, I think he'd missed six out of his previous eight cuts, so he wasn't playing good. Came here, finished 14th regardless. I think he's in a far better place right now. Um, 45 to 1, I thought, was a good, strong each-way price to take, so quite happy with that. Um, also back Callum Shinkwin. Uh, if you look at Shinkwin's raw numbers, he's got two missed cuts out of his last two outings. And I think that kind of explains why you get in. Well, I took 50 to one with eight places. You can get 60s if you are happy to just take the bog standard each way places. But if you look, missed cut Sudal Open, he was um, getting himself ready to go to the PGA Championship. He played Oak Hill last week. He did miss the cut at Oak Hill. But uh, I can forgive anyone who turns up to an event that they're committed to um, prior to going to a major and just you know, throttle down, disappear on the Friday night and get yourself uh, ready for the major. Of course, he missed a cut to Oak Hill, so that means he's got an extra couple of days to prepare for this. Two days extra over the likes of a Perez and a Moronk. And I think if you go back prior to that, he's been playing some good stuff. Fourth at the Dubai Desert Classic, ninth at the Italian Open. Um, 
his approach game in the Italian Open was good. He was ninth for strokes gained approach. And that can often be the area that um, can make or break Callum Shinkwin's uh, performances. Because he's great off the tee. Second for strokes gained off the tee for the season to date. 19th for strokes gained tee to green. If he gets that spark with his irons, the approach game starts working. Then he can be, uh, he can be dangerous, I think. He was runner-up, we remember this, to uh, Rafa Cabrera-Bayo at the Dundonald Lynx back in 2017. That was the one that he should have won mm. to break through. Um, that's a Kyle Phillips design. Um, I say he should have won that. He was second at last year's Dunhill Lynx. So again, you've got the Phillips link there. He's won in, on a couple of exposed tracks. Uh, one in Cyprus, also one at Celtic Manor. I think Callum Shink would, could go well. A nice, Another nice mid-price as an each-way punt. Similar price for Grant Forrest, um, sixty to one. Again, you could that was with eight places. You can take seventies if you prefer. Um, Scott from Livingstone. He now lives on the North Berwick coast, so he's at home with these linksy style tracks. Got his breakthrough in twenty twenty one. That was at Fairmont St Andrews, uh, third at Hillside last year. Playing some really good consistent golf so far in 2023 seven cuts seven starts um 10th in abu dhabi sixth in singapore 13th thailand 11th kenya fourth in japan really nice consistent uh, form for grant forest and uh, a good each way punt i think as is fellow scott ewan ferguson um i think one of you guys put ferguson up a week or two back and um you know he's been backed again this week and i can see why i backed him 60 to 1 with eight places that's all gone there's still some 55s out there i suspect he'll go kind of 45 50 by the time we go off because he has been popular and he won twice this kind of time last year. And in a six-month spell, he actually could have won three times. If it wouldn't have been for um, Ollie Wilson's magical putter at uh, the Maiden Himmeland, he would have won three times in the space of uh, six months over the summer last year. Uh, like Pepperell, he also won the Qatar Masters um, at Doha. He's got experience here. He finished 37th here last year, and it was eighth after the first day. And uh, found a little bit of form recently. He got back-to-back top four finishes in South Africa in March. Um, and I think this style course should suit him far more than those uh, longer South African uh, altitude affairs. So uh, Ewan Ferguson seems like a decent, again, mid-range, mid-price, each-way punt for me. And the final one I've backed, 90-1 to 1 with eight places. Again, you can get 100-1 to 1 if you prefer to take fewer places. Dan Bradbury, Daniel Bradbury, the wakeful man, 23 years old, has got a huge career ahead of him, I think, Dan Bradbury. Uh, won the Joe Berg Open, what was just his third start on the DP World Tour last November. That was his sixth start as a professional. Got a great team behind him. They, I think they fully believe that this guy could go um, you know, top 50 in the world and beyond. Uh, and, and I think they could well be right. Decent long game, top 25 for total driving and nine of the 10 starts that he's had where he's made the cut on the DP World Tour. Second for greens in regulation, last two times out. Tenth overall last time at the uh, Sudal Open. He was first for strokes gain approach, first for strokes gain seed screen in his last start. Playing some nice stuff. and we, we don't know enough about Dan Bradbury to really kind of pigeonhole him as a certain style of player, but I think... Going to a course where the history is relatively light um, isn't going to be as much of a uh, negative as it could be on some other courses. He's playing the right kind of game to compete here. He shot 61 at Moortown Golf Club um, back in February. And that's another Heathland, kind of Moorland-style track. Um, 
it's got a lot of game the boy a couple of uh, holding ones for the uh, for the season to date as well on the DP World Tour I've got to give him a chance 90 to 1 say 100 to 1 if you prefer to take it with uh, fewer places but I'll take the 8 take the 90 to 1 that would be a nice little winner but then my 5 Bradbury Ferguson Forrest Shinquin Eddie Pepperell you having a punt on the DP this week Barry? I'm, I'm going to keep sticking with Alexander Bjork can't uh just the guy's gone well it's either, it's either gonna pop or he'll you know he'll fall off but uh yeah nothing seems to be phasing him right now on a great run mm. and uh yeah this should just be a fairly reasonably friendly test so see can he go and do it um beyond that yeah kind of apprehensive nervous I like the Eddie Pepperell shout and the Doha link. That definitely makes um, really good sense. I am lagging a little bit behind uh, my usual frantic uh, podcast googling of <laughs> who I'm going to back uh, for the for this tour. So yeah, I'm, I might come up with one or one or two more, but um, wary of the yeah. unpredictability of the DP World Tour. No, I understand. I. I if I if I was going to take one near the top, it would have been Bjork. He did appear on an awful lot of my stats, and um, yeah, I I, th- I think you know if you you're going each way at what twenty twenty two to one that kind of number, I, I I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see him finish in the each way places. Mm. So you know, if if it was a single bet for the week and it was you know a, a larger each way bet on him at that kind of price, then I, I think you could end up uh, positive for the week. Whether he wins, I don't know, we'll see. He's got Eddie to beat first. This is true. <laughs> what about you, Steve? My gut feel was Ewan Ferguson. Mm. Capable, wasn't he? So I'm going to take 50 to 1 because I haven't backed him. I was literally just floating. I was doing the Barry School of uh, Research as, as you were talking. I'm looking. Ewan Ferguson seems to be the one to me. Mm. Just from what you were telling, saying, I mean... He seemed to find form back in South Africa, didn't he? Yeah, 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 a couple of top fours, yeah. Yeah. And from what you're saying, it's, it's not kind of up front staring you in the face form that tends to win this? No. I, so, yeah, he, I think he fits quite nicely. And we know with the guy, once he's in contention, he's locked, isn't he? He just hangs around and either wins or goes extremely close to winning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, that's not not a you know, not something that all of the DP World Tour players have got in their uh, locker. No, and you know he quite reasonably could and perhaps should have won the third one last year because you know it was only Ollie Wilson who was making sixty footers that stopped him from winning the third title. And uh, yeah, I think when he gets a, a bit between his teeth again, he could go on and win another title or two. I think quite possible. So yeah, you and Ferguson for me. Mm. Um, Good. On the Ryder Cup front, oh, by the way, I just wanted to know, to, you know, if, if people have made it this far on the podcast, they're, they're clean, clearly into their into their goal. Top 50 after this week, get a start at the Open. Okay, yeah, good. Cam Davis, 49. I don't know if his PGA finish gets him in. Lucas Herbert, 48. Moronk is 47. I think Moronk might get in for a DP world. Anyway, Fowler at 52, Denny McCarthy 54, Poston 56. There's some names. 
Hmm. There's another. There must be another cutoff for the uh, U.S. Open as well. Top sixty, it tends to be. I was just. I think that was last week after the PGA. Oh, uh, okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Because Cam Davis played himself into the U.S. Open uh, by jumping to 49th in the world. Yeah. So yes, uh, everyone from Alex Noren up, Minwoo Lee, sixty-one in the world rankings. Noren, Victor Perez, Adam Svensson, Aaron Rice, JT Poston, Keith Mitchell, Denny McCarthy, Thomas Peters, Ricky Fowler, and Matt Kuchar all got into the US Open last week outside the top fifty in the world. There you go. I just thought I'd highlight that because that can often motivate a player. Whether Ricky Fowler can win this week and qualify for the Open, we will find out. Hmm. I was just thinking, Brooks Kepka's kind of come back from the middle of you know major issues to win a major. Then you had Jason Day the week before, winning for the first time after five years. Will, will this be the week for Ricky and we're not on him? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> thanks a million, Steve. I've just got to go on and back him now. <laughs> Okay. It do, it do, it doesn't seem to be the right kind of place for his game, but I've also got massive FOMO. So, hmm. sorry, I persuaded. Well, I haven't persuaded you into anything. It's, it's okay. It's just Shame. a three thousand. It's just a three thousand euro bet. It's no big deal. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I hope your bets go well, champs. Good luck. Yeah. You too, boys. Luck, boys. Good luck to listeners. Good luck to uh, your DK teams and your bets. Don't forget the vote. The uh, If you could vote for us in that Smart Betting Club Awards, the Golf Betting System podcast, that would be much appreciated. Right, we'll see you again next week. Goodbye. If you like betting on golf But everyone that you back misses the cut Get some experts involved all the stats and the tips and so much more cause it's the golf betting system the golf